um, a prayer from Valley Vision um, to open us up. So if you'll bow your heads and we'll go to the Lord in prayer in thanksgiving. Father God, we, uh, we thank you. Uh, we come before you and um, thank you for all your goodness. Again, uh, we could think of thousands of ways in which you have blessed us. Um, and we bless you for all of those things, for, for providing all those things and doing all those things in our lives. Um, we bless you for the soul that you have created in us, for adorning it, for sanctifying it, we praise you for the body that you have given us, for preserving our strength and our vitality, for providing us senses to enjoy your delights. We praise you for hands and eyes and ears to do your bidding, for the royal bounty provided for our daily support. God, we praise you for a full table and an overflowing cup. For appetites, for taste, for sweetness. For the joys of relatives and friends. For the ability to serve others. For a heart that feels sorrow and its need. For a mind to care for our fellow man for opportunities of spreading happiness in our communities, for loved ones who have already entered the joys of heaven, and for our own expectations that one day we will see you clearly. God, our, our powers of language are insufficient um, to declare all the different ways that we bless and praise you. And we ask that you would increase our love, God, that you would work in us both now and through eternity to draw, draw us closer to you. God, as we come into a time where we look at your word, we pray that you would do this through your word, that in the Holy Spirit, in the power of the Holy Spirit, you would shine a light on the text, that you would illuminate it, God, and that it would be apparent to our hearts, uh, to our minds, that we would understand, that we would feel these things, God, and that we would apply them to our lives. Help us to do that um, as we look together tonight. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so um, if you've got your Bibles and you haven't already opened there, turn to 2 Thessalonians. Um, we are done with our... Um, Great Awakening All Saints series. And um, we're moving into Advent season. We're not actually in Advent yet. We've got uh, next weekend is the first Sunday of Advent. What we're going to do is something maybe a little bit different. We're going to do a short or quick study through the book of Second Thessalonians um, over between now and New Year's, okay? And, and as we come into Advent season, so typically Advent is about... Um, sort of paying attention to the coming of Christ, right? That's what we think about and we, and we reflect upon when we come into Advent. Um, so, that, so that lends itself in terms of teaching and preaching and stuff like that to one Christology, when we study the doctrine of Christ and who he is and what he's done. It also lends itself to uh, the discussion and, and the study of the nativity itself, 
So the birth of Jesus, his first advent and coming into the world, the Old Testament prophecies that foretold that and led up to that. Um, but also, as we're in Advent season, we start to think about, and, and we should think about, the second coming of Christ, and which is interesting because the second coming of Christ is very unlike the first coming of Christ. All right, and and we're going to see that as we get into Thessalonians. Second um, Thessalonians is a book about the second coming. It is about it's a book about um, what we, how should we should prepare our hearts, um, what we should be looking for in the second coming of Christ, um, how we should live our lives until Christ comes back. Um, but it's a very different picture, and I'm going to be honest with you. In some ways, it's unchristmassy. Okay, the things that we're going to talk about over the next three or four weeks are are sort of unchristmassy. Um, typically, you know, we talk about peace and joy and love and, and, and little baby Jesus in the golden diaper in the, in the, you know, the manger and stuff like that. That's, that's not the way it's going to look as we talk about the second coming of Jesus because the second coming of Jesus is very different. Um, he comes in, in, uh, victory. He comes in judgment. He comes in conquest. Um, Jesus comes the second time to set all things right. Um, and so it's a very different kind of coming, but that's the way we're going to talk about it. We won't, we won't um, do that every year. Some years we'll, we'll um, do a more kind of typical um, Christmas kind of time in, in the sermons, but this year we're going to be looking at eschatology, the second coming of Jesus Christ, the last things um, that will close out the end of this age. And so that's what we're going to be looking at. But we're starting in 2 Thessalonians. At the beginning of 2 Thessalonians, we see um, something that Paul usually does, right? He starts many, if not most, of his letters with thanksgiving. And so if you took a few seconds and looked through all of Paul's epistles, you'll notice something. Um, usually by about verse 3 of chapter 1, he is thanking God, almost always, like it's neat. Just go back and look through them um, sometime. By verse 3 of the first chapter, he is saying, I thank God for you know, this church or for the way he's moved or for the way he's done, almost in every single letter. Not all of them, but, but most of them. And when he doesn't, it's because the circumstances are so dire there that he just jumps right into the topic or something like that. That's important. The fact that Paul starts almost every one of his letters with thanksgiving should tell us something. It should tell us something about the centrality of thanksgiving. Um, and, and, and the centrality of thanksgiving cannot be overestimated in the Christian faith. It should be the natural default position of our hearts as Christians to look to God and be awed by the blessing that he has given us, right? And by the fact that he has not only given us blessing, but he has withheld judgment from us. And we should, we should live in thanksgiving all the time. That should be the way we start. It's telling also um, that we often tend away from thanksgiving, that that's not doesn't seem to be the default position of our hearts. Um, instead, we tend towards what you might call a grumbling covetousness, right? Grumbling in the sense that you're just always sort of discontent and sort of vocal about it, right? Um, and then at the same time, a covetousness, right? And, and, and always wanting something else. Never happy with what you have, but always wanting something else. And we see that all through the scriptures. In fact, that concept, that lack of thankfulness and that covetousness comes to the top as, as central to the problem that we have and the predicament we're in with sin and judgment and, and all these things. So, for example, Paul uses coveting um, as the particular sin that makes us realize that we are sinners, all right? Um, 
For example, when Jesus encounters the rich young ruler, this young man comes who's sincere, he's faithful, he's a pious young man, and by his own testimony he says, I have followed all the laws of God since childhood, right? I've always followed the laws of God, except the one law that he hasn't followed is this covetousness. And through his interaction with Jesus, that is revealed that he cares about his things and his stuff more than he cares about following God. And therefore, it's, it's the sin that even though he hasn't done all these other things, it is the sin that is so ingrained in us that he never even noticed it before, you could say. Um, the, the book of, of, of Romans in chapter 1 ties covetousness and unthankfulness to the original sin, you could say. It is the root of all sin. All right, It says that when we beheld the glory of God, that it was God's glory was made obvious to us in his word and in his world, that we responded to that, that, that glory in two ways, with unbelief and with unthankfulness, okay? And so you could almost say that, in a sense, along with unbelief, unthankfulness is at the root of all of our sin. It's the start of all of our problems um, when it comes to our relationship with God. Thanksgiving and thankfulness are the attribute of holiness that are the antithesis of grumbling and covetousness, right? So the opposite of grumbling and covetousness is thanksgiving and thankfulness. So let's look at that. Let's look at, at Paul's intro, okay, and, and see what he has to say about thankfulness and an attitude and a heart of thankful uh, thanksgiving. Paul begins this section in a typical way. Um, he does it with a greeting, um, the kind of greeting that you see often in Paul's letters. But even his greetings are rich with meaning. All right, Those greetings that we often just kind of read past um, are, are significant um, and tell us something. Paul's wording in this first section is blatantly Trinitarian. Okay, So look at verse 1. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so again, you might look at that and easily read past it. But what is Paul saying? Whose church is it? It is the church of God the Father and the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, who is the source of all grace and peace? It is God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, here's what we have to realize. It is unthinkable that Paul, as a monotheistic Jew in the first century, would have put those two names together like that if he thought that they were two different categories of being, okay? If he saw God the Father as here and Jesus is really important but something lesser than God the Father, he would not have put them the way he did, right? He would have made some kind of caveat. He would have said something. But instead he says, whose church is it? Is it is God the Father's and Jesus Christ's church. Who is the source of all grace and peace? It is God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You might say, well, Ash, where is the Spirit in this? If he's being Trinitarian, where is the Spirit? Well, we, we've said it before. The Spirit is the shy member of the Trinity. The Spirit is the, the, the person of the Trinity that is always pointing to the Father and the Son. And really, the place of the Spirit in this passage is the Scripture itself, right? It is the inspired voice coming through Paul telling us to look to the Father and look to the Son as, as uh, the, the, the center of the church and the source of all grace and peace, okay? And so Paul is, from the get-go, Trinitarian in this thing. All grace, all peace flow from the same Trinitarian God. And all grace and all peace is basically a way of saying everything. All the good things come from God. 
Thankfulness is really just about understanding that and recognizing that reality. It's refusing to delude ourselves that we somehow either deserve better than we have or that we are on our own ultimately responsible for the good in our lives, right? Neither of those things are true. That's the beginning of thankfulness. It's recognizing that God is the source of all good. James, um, in, in his, his epistle in the New Testament, says every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down to us from the Father of lights. And that's right. Every single good thing that we have and do and experience and are all has its source in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so thankfulness is realizing you're a child who is completely dependent on your heavenly father. So God is the source of all blessing. But in this passage, Paul is zooming in on something particular, right? He's not just saying generically thankful for everything. He's zooming in on the fact that we are thankful for the blessing of God's church. So look at verse three. He says, we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right. So Paul begins by giving thanks to God, but he gives thanks to God in particular for the church. And he says, we ought always to give thanks for you. Um, as is usually the case for Paul, um, this isn't just any fellowship to him, right? This isn't just some random church that he's writing a letter to. This church was a church that he planted on his second missionary journey. And so these people are his spiritual children, you could say, right? He is the one who originally witnessed to these people, who told them the gospel and through whom they believed. And so when he says we ought to um, give thanks to God. He's not saying we ought to as in we don't, but we should. Like that's not what he means. What he means is we ought to, meaning it is good and right that we would give thanks to you, God, because of this fellowship. Because thanksgiving recognizes the unmerited blessing of things, right? Paul is looking at this church and saying, man, there's no reason why we should have expected to show up in this random Greco-Roman town and preach people the gospel and they believed it. There's no reason that should have happened outside of the unmerited grace of God. And so he says we should be thankful to God for that. We have started, at least those of us who are doing book study, have started reading Dietrich Bonhoeffer's little book, um, Life Together. And so a number of us are reading that. And if you've already started, which I hope you have, um, the very beginning of the book points out something central about the Christian faith and the Christian life. And that is, is that fellowship, the blessings of community and church, are not something that we are promised. All right? They are not something that we always have in this life. In fact, in many ways, we should probably expect not to have them by the nature of our ministry in the world. Because here's the deal. We are, and you see this all throughout the scriptures, we are sojourners here, right? We have a sojourner kind of faith, a missionary kind of faith, a pilgrim. Thanksgiving's the perfect time to talk about that, right? A pilgrim kind of faith. We are people who are expecting to witness to God's glory with our lives to a world that hates him and resents us. That's what we're expecting, okay? And so the problem is, is that when we live in the South and we live in the Bible Belt and we live in a culture that still has residual Christianity sticking all over it, right, in our institutions and in our um, uh, sensibilities and, and things like that, when we live in an environment like that, we forget 
how rare Christian community can be. We just expect it. We look around and we say, man, it feels common to have Christian fellowship with people, right? Community feels common. Family feels common. But the truth is, is it isn't common. And it's not something that we see everywhere, and it's not something that we should necessarily expect as Christians. You don't see it in Saudi Arabia. You don't see it in Turkey. You don't see it in North Korea. You don't see it in Portland, Oregon in many cases, right? And the truth is, even in a place like Maryville, you don't always see it even though you think you do, right? You feel like it's around, but true community is often elusive to us. Sometimes it's elusive even in a church service. I've talked to, I mentioned it a couple weeks ago, but I've talked to several people recently who have talked about visiting churches that they had never been to before in the process of looking for a church and saying, man, the loneliest place in the world is sitting in a pew on Sunday morning in a church where you don't know anybody. It is a weird, lonely, empty experience oftentimes because we recognize community is not something that we're promised. And since we're not promised it, when we have it, we should thank God for it. We should look to God and say, this is a blessing um, and a rare one for many people. We owe thanks to God because it's, what does he say? Because we owe it to God because it is right. That word, that word ought to literally translated as owe. He says we owe God thanks because of you, brothers, right? It is a debt that we have incurred, that God has given us fellowship. Like you look around and you say, if we were thinking in some kind of monetary system, like God has paid us out fellowship, and now we're sort of looking going, man, I owe God thanks back for that because of, because of what he's given to us. It's particularly significant for Paul again because this is his people. And there aren't words to explain, and I can say this from a, from a pastor's perspective, there, there aren't words to explain the, the care and anxiety that a pastor has for his flock. Okay, it is a it's a weird thing, and especially uh, not all of you have been in this situation, but many of you have. Many of you in this room, I have been in your life connected to you since you were literally kids, right? Like teenagers. Um, for some of you know, Julie, I've I've been hanging around Julie since she was twelve. Okay, that's a long time. There's a sense in which you would be my spiritual children even if we had just known each other for a few short months and I was, you were a member here and I was a, your pastor, but even more so the fact that I've known some of you your, most of your lives and been partially responsible for your spiritual growth uh, most of your lives. That's a weird thing, and it's a weird thing for Paul, and that's why he's so thankful for the church because he looks at these people and he says, I'm just glad that God is, is working in you. I'm glad for you. You are my family, and I'm glad that, that, that um, God is working among you. He says as much in 1 Thessalonians. It's a, good, it's a good idea to read both of these books together. So he says this in 1 Thessalonians 3. He says, Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us good news of your faith and the love and, and love and reported that you always remember us kindly as long and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. Okay, so this is what he's basically saying. He's saying, you wish I was there. I wish you were there. I mean, I wish I was with you. You wish um, the back that I was there too. And when I'm down, Paul is saying, when I'm going through affliction, when I'm going through difficult things, the thing that 
encourages me is that I can look to your congregation and say, man, but God is working among the Thessalonians. God is building them and growing them, and my children in the faith are doing well. Okay, And that's an encouragement to him. It's an encouragement to me. Like when I think of you guys, it's an encouragement to me. And, and he specifically zooms in. Again, he kind of refines it even more because we could be thankful for lots of things, but he zooms in on two particular things. Look at verse 3. The second has, he says, we are thankful for you um, because your faith is growing abundantly. So again, to give thanks to God is a broad topic. To even give thanks for God's church is a broad topic. Um, we could give thanks to God for any number of characteristics about God's church, his kindness to, uh, in it, um, generosity, commitment in the church, right? But here, Paul is focusing in, first off, on the faith of the church and that faith that is growing abundantly. So that was a particularly significant um, reality in light of what was going on in that Thessalonian church. Paul had come to Thessalonica, like I said, in his second missionary journey. You find the account of that in Acts chapter 17. He had preached in a synagogue there over the course of about three weeks. And in that time, a number of Jews who were there in the church, the synagogue there had believed, as well as a number of Gentiles in the community. And the Bible tells us also that a number of prominent women, influential women in the community, had also trusted in Christ and been saved. And so the Jews who had not believed, though, had stirred up trouble against Paul. And they'd started to go to the local authorities and say that Paul was a rabble-rouser and he was trying to, to um, teach strange doctrines. And they basically caused a riot and forced Paul to leave Thessalonica and go to the city of Berea. And they weren't content to just let him leave town. They followed him to Berea and stirred up trouble for him there. And as far as we can tell in Paul's letters, even though after Paul left, the, the, the persecution didn't die down. Like people didn't just like go, oh, cool, Paul's gone so we can chill out now. No, they were mad about this new Christian group that had, that had come to faith in their town. And so there continues to be issues and, and persecution and difficulty for the church um, in Thessalonica. And so those who had embraced Christ in those few short weeks had continued to experience tribulation, but they had remained faithful, all right? And so it reminds us maybe of, uh, of Jesus' story of the four soils, the parable of the four soils. He says, sometimes when the word goes out to um, a person, um, Satan comes and takes it away immediately and nothing happens. It's empty, right? And then he says, sometimes, though, the seed of the gospel is planted on this ground and the plant sprouts up quickly. But then because it doesn't have any roots, the sun comes out, which is the picture of affliction and, and, and persecution, and it cooks the plant and the plant wilts and dies. Except that's not what has happened here. This was a a faith that sprang up quickly, right? Paul was only there for like three weeks. It didn't take much preaching before the spirit moved and these people were converted. And, and then persecution happened very quickly after that. And yet these people had remained faithful. These people had continued to trust in Christ and grow abundantly in their faith. And so what is Paul thanking God for? He's saying, Man, I, I thank you, God, that you are holding these people fast and making them grow even in the midst of persecution. All right, that's something that we shouldn't always expect. And I'm going to give you a case in point among um, the church, our church here. Right, we've got a lot of young 
guys in here, especially single guys, okay? Um, and I'm sure it's true of single ladies, and I'm sure it's true of young married people and everything else too, but I'm going to pr- pick on young guys, right? Um, there is no reason why you should be here tonight. If you are a mid-20-something to mid-30-something single guy in American culture, there is no reason why you should be in this room in terms of the way the world thinks, okay? And yet, you are here, and you're pursuing Jesus Christ, and you're living in a way that is counter to the culture, and you're trying to be faithful in the midst of those things. That's the kind of thing that Paul's talking about here. He's saying it makes no sense that your faith is growing and thriving abundantly in the place that you're in with the things that you're dealing with. But it is. And so I think we can say the same thing in our own church. Again, would we like to see more people um, in that situation? Yes, we would. I mean, I wish all of Blunt County was sitting in here tonight. But we look to the people that we have. We look to the people who are living faithfully and say, God, thank you that you're working. Thank you that you're growing um, people and working in their lives and that their faith is abundant. He starts saying by saying, I thank you for their faith. But then he moves on to the other thing. and He says, I thank you for this expanding love that we see in their lives. So the end of verse 3, and he says, not only for that faith, but also, and the love of everyone, uh, uh, sorry, and the love of every one of you for another is increasing. Okay? So he thanks them for the faith that is growing among them and for the love that is growing amongst all of them for everybody else in, in the church. It's, it's interesting, the two words, because he says growing abundantly in the first half and increasing in the second half. And you go, aren't those the same kind of things? And it's interesting because they have different nuances. Growing abundantly is a word that is used of organic growth, of plants and animals, right? It's the way things grow in and of themselves, okay? So it's almost like an inward growth, okay? Plants grow up. Babies grow up, animals grow up, that's what happens. It's a natural process of the thing growing up in itself. This word increasing is a little bit different. It's more like an outward growth. It's almost the way you would talk about a flood, right? It is something that is moving outward, diffusing, overtaking other things, okay? And so those two words are different, but it makes complete sense, right? A faith that is growing inside of us and a love that is growing out among um, the community. Bonhoeffer talks about that same thing, and again, those early um, pages of, of life together. He talks about that idea of the most basic, the, 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 the core thing about our relationship with each other, right? The basis for our love and fellowship with each other is not what the world typically has as the basis of their fellowship. Pretty much everybody else in the world, and oft, oftentimes many churches, act on some principle of attraction, right? So basically it is either people like us because of something about us or people like us because something about us is different but it complements them somehow. That's kind of how attraction works, right? So you either like people who are like you or you like people who make you look better, okay? And that's kind of how the whole world works. That's not how the church works, even though many churches work exactly like that. The thing that binds us, the thing that connects us, is Jesus Christ. And and Bonhoeffer talks about that and says, he reminds us that our fellowship is only in Jesus. That, yeah, we might have things in common. I might have nerd things in common with one person and sports things in common with another person and book things in common with another person. And we may like each other and have affinities in, in similar places, but that's not what binds us. That's not what connects us. What connects us is Jesus Christ. 
Um, and that love that we have for each other, he sees that love in Thessalonica growing and pouring over and spreading outward to embrace other people. And so he says, every one of you is growing in love for one another, right? So each of you is growing in love for other people in the group. And that's awesome. It's, it's a gospel kind of love. It's saying this is not a love that is based on similarities in personality or in temperament or in social standing or even in maturity, right? Even looking around and going, man, people are on the same level with me in terms of spiritual maturity or something like that. It's not based on that. What their love is based on is the love that has been poured out in their own hearts in Jesus Christ. And now that love is pouring out in embracing people and welcoming people in to the fellowship and loving them for themselves, right? Loving them as image bearers and loving them as followers of Jesus Christ. They're living, and we could say it this way, a great awakening kind of faith, right? The gospel has changed their lives, and now they are growing internally in piety and externally in, in love towards others. And again, it reminds us of the parable of the four soils. So the next one that Jesus talks about, he says there's the one where Satan takes it away. There's the one where the seed sprouts up quickly but is burned by affliction. And it says the next one... That plant grows, it takes root, it grows up, but because the cares of the world, because these vines and thorns come in and choke the plant out, it never bears fruit. All right? That's not what we see in the church in Thessalonica. They have not only been planted, they have not only taken root and survived affliction, but now they are actually bearing fruit, and that fruit is the fruit of love that's going out to all the people around them. Um, this faith and this love is what Paul is boasting in, right? And like we said, it's not only Paul's boast and joy, but is that church's anchor in their trials and afflictions. And that's what we see in verse 4. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of our God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and afflictions that you are, deal, uh, that you are enduring. So Paul is thankful for the church that against all odds has flourished. And so here's what I would encourage you to do. Uh, we're kind of going to go a, a soft landing, and then we're going to take it back up and land it one more time, okay? Um, this is what I would encourage you to do. Are you thankful for the people sitting next to you, right? Is your tendency to look to the people sitting next to you and to grumble and covetously wish that they were something other than they are? Right? Say, the people sitting next to me are not who I wish they were. I wish they were something better. I wish they were something more. I wish they acted a different way. Right? Is that, is that our attitudes? Or is our attitude to say, I'm thankful that God is working. I'm thankful for the people that God has placed around me, and I'm thankful for the evidences of grace and mercy that are pouring forth in their lives. Are, is, is there potential for more grace? Certainly. Is there potential for more growth? Certainly. But what is the attitude of our hearts? Are we thankful for the church that we sit amongst, or are we grumbling of that church? That's what I encourage you to do, um, to think in those terms. Um, it's hard to do because, man, that's not the way we're sinfully wired, right? We tend towards covetous grumbling. And so I want to, I want to, that's, that's soft landing. And then we're like, no, let's pull it back up. Wait, circle around. And now we're going to land it one more time. I want to take one more point and just sort of bring it. It's not something that's specifically in the text, but it's something that we see in this text in light of other things that Paul has said. And that's the connection between prayer and thanksgiving. Okay. Prayer and thankfulness. So watch this. Turn, um, to first Thessalonians chapter three real quick. 
Because remember, these are two letters that Paul has written at two different times, right? He's visited them. He's written a letter. Um, he's come back and visited them later. He may have written that second later, letter later. But it's interesting what he says in the first one that then we see play out in the second one. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, starting in verse 9, he says, For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God. As we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see your face again. So, right, there's that love that Paul has for his church, right? That, that thankfulness and desire to see them and be with them and to know them, right? And then he says this, not only to see you face to face, but also to supply what is lacking in your faith, okay? So Paul says, man, I'm so thankful for this church. And I'm so thankful for what God's doing. And I want to be of service to this church. I want to do whatever I can do to help this church continue to grow in the way it should. He doesn't look to the church and say, you got a lot of problems, church, right? You're missing a lot of things. There's a lot of areas of faith and growth that you don't have. And I'm going to try to help you in that. No, he comes and says, man, how can we, what can we do but thank God for this church? And we want to be any help that we can in this process. And then he continues in verse 11. And now... May our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. So he's, this is a prayer now. He's asking these things. May God direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Right. So notice what he said in these two passages. He's asking God. He's saying... Would you grow these people in faith? And would you grow these people in love? Again, starting with an attitude of thankfulness and then asking God to grow these people in faith and love. And then what do we see when we come to the second letter? He says, man, we are so thankful that God is growing you in faith and growing you in love. He has, he has thankfully asked God for something. And then one letter later, we see God graciously answering those prayers. And I think there's a key there to the way we understand prayer. Because if you're not careful, you might read this and go, wait, Ash, you just told us to be thankful for people where they're at. But now Paul is saying, grow them in grace, grow them in peace, grow them in, in love, grow them in faith, right? Is, isn't that contradictory? Like how can we ask God to make them more if we're accepting them for how, how they are? And I think the answer is, is thanksgiving, okay? The answer is, is if we start with a heart of thanksgiving, then the prayer that comes from that will be a prayer that is not grounded in discontent and covetousness and grumbling um, and unthankfulness, but it'll be the kind of prayer that wants God to be more glorified and his people to be um, more holy. And we will be praying not out of greed, not out of covetousness, not, not, out of, not out of something, pessimism, but we'll be praying out of a thankfulness that God is the kind of God who not only is already working, but through our prayers and, and, and all, without our prayers, he will continue to work in these people's lives. A prayer from a thankful heart is the kind of prayer that God listens to, that God heeds, because it doesn't come from a place of sin, but it comes from God's own heart. It comes from a place where God's glory is, is, is prioritized and the, the good of God's church is made manifest. So that's what I want us to do. Um, that's the way I want us to pray for each other. When we look at each other and we go, 
that person's different from me um, in whatever way. They annoy me or they're difficult to be around in certain circumstances or they have let me down um, in a certain way or they've, they've done something that has hurt me in some way. It is easy to then grumble, to act in a covetous kind of way about what we want. That's not where I want us to start. I want us to say, God, thank you for this person. Thank you for what you've already done in them. Thank you that they are not who they used to be. Thank you that you are working even now. And God, I know and pray and expect that you are going to continue to work in this person and I'm going to see them grow and be able to pray again later on. And thank you for what you've done from this time to that time. Make sense? Um, let's go to the Lord in prayer and just kind of reflect maybe for a minute. Maybe you just think about um, your own life in terms of these things. Um, the people sitting around you. Um, Maybe you need to do some confessing to God. Maybe you need to say, God, I need you to work on my heart in some of these things because I haven't been this thankful person. Um, maybe you just need to say, God, make me aware of these things. Show me where I can be thankful for people. Show me the good and the grace that you've already worked in people's lives so that I can be thankful for the people around me. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we, uh, we, we do what we talk about here uh, many times. We pray your word back to you. Um, we pray the prayer that we see Paul praying through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to the church in Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. God, we ask that you would direct our way to the fellowship. God, that we would be with each other, that we would experience each other's friendship and fellowship, that we would live in a way that is face-to-face -face with each other. Um, God, that you would um, make the love that we have for one another increase and abound. God, that each one of us would love those around us, especially those in the fellowship, um, the way that you have loved us, not a love based on merit, not a love based on performance, but God, a, a love that comes um, from a heart that has been changed by Jesus Christ. God, we ask that in doing so, as we love other people, that you would establish our hearts and our lives as blameless before you. God, that you would use that love that you have shown us and that the love that we then express uh, to those around us, to cleanse us, to purify us, to make us into the people that you've called us to be, that we would be blameless, that we would be holy, so that on the day of Jesus Christ, on the day when he returns to set all things to right, God, that we would not be ashamed, that we could stand before your son and say, uh, I have lived as you have called me to, to live, that we would hear from him, well done, my good and faithful servant. God, that's what we pray. I pray that for myself. I pray that for um, every person in this room. And I pray that uh, is a message that resounds to Blount County, that we would hear it and that we would uh, know your son, Jesus Christ, and grow in that love. God, we thank you. We praise you. We thank you for the season that we're coming into. Help us to um, reflect on, on the coming of Jesus. Help us to um, quicken our hearts, God, to be prepared, to be stirred up, to be awake, to be ready. Um, for his coming, um, we, which we expect at any time. God, we love you, we praise you, and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.